Are y'all ready to surrender a little pride this morning? And give way to the Holy Spirit to bring about a little humility in our hearts? Because we're talking, continuing to talk about a fixer-upper. Seeing ourselves as fixer-uppers. Kind of based on the show Fixer-Upper. And how the gains can turn you know, an ordinary house into you know, a dwelling that looks unbelievable, right? Well, the Holy Spirit can do a whole lot more than that with our lives. And the Holy Spirit desires to make us less prideful and more full of the humility like Christ. I'd like for you to turn your attention to the screens. The staff is having way too much fun with this. I want burger. Yeah. Okay. Good burger place nearby. That's good. Um, yeah. Huh. Where should I go? Easy. Get the greatest burger made in the United States. What a burger made right here. Deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> Maybe I'll just get in and out now, Don't even get me started on in and out They ain't got no taquitos. They got no honey butter chicken biscuit. Heck, don't even ask them for jalapenos because they don't got them. I really wish I could travel more. Why? You already live in the Lone Star State, the greatest place on earth. You know you can see Texas from outer space. You can pretty much see everywhere from space, actually. Yeah, but you can see more of Texas. Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, it's the biggest state in the United States. Uh, that's that's not right. Uh, Alaska is, I'm pretty sure. You know, where, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Kansas. Oh, God. pastors here and DJ you may not know but DJ is kind of our techie behind the scenes and you know, he's been doing these videos and doing a great job I want to show a cartoon of old a little snapshot from peanuts to kind of center us in on this pride thing and kind of the root of pride when I get big I'm going to be a famous doctor I'll, I'll save everybody I'll perform miracles of surgery I'll diagnose swiftly and accurately. I'll work wonders. I'll be a regular M-deity. You know, part of, I think, the worst of pride is when we realize that pride leads us to thinking more highly of ourselves, even thinking ourselves to be more than human. You know, that's what the first story in the Bible is about, right? The Garden of Eden. It's about uh, God giving Adam and Eve just one prohibition. Don't eat of that tree in the center of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Just don't eat the fruit there. You can have everything else in the garden, but not that tree. And of course, we know that they ate the fruit of that tree. And they did so because they were tempted that if they ate it, they would be like who? Be like God. And so pride has this centering, some would say the originating sin or the chief sin or the sin 
from which all other sin springs forth. Today we're going to be looking at a familiar uh, passage. It's a parable of Jesus. It's pretty straightforward. He uses two characters, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Let's turn to Luke, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 9th verse. And we read this parable of Jesus. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. But all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now I want to give us a little bit of background because is there anyone here who's a tax collector? Anybody? Well, good, because this would be a little bit um, edgy for someone who is a tax collector. Yeah, but, but in the day of Jesus, they would clearly know what he was talking about in a tax collector. What they wouldn't expect was Jesus to use a tax collector as an illustration. Because a tax collector was one of the most despised people in the Jewish community. A tax collector was a Jewish person that had been tapped out by a Roman because they promised to be able to uh, wring more money out of their own family and friends for the Roman government than someone else could do. That's how they got their job. They could be the best at, at, uh, at getting the money out of their family and friends. So they were seen as lackeys by their Jewish counterparts related to the Roman government and, and even traitors because they had basically... Um, shown that they were not faithful to their own people, but were in cahoots with the Roman government. And you know what? The Romans didn't trust them either. Because they saw that if they fit this stereotype of lying and stealing and conniving, that if they could do that to their family and friends, they could surely do it to the Roman Empire. So, so a tax collector was so isolated. You know, Zacchaeus, he was up a tree, right? He was up a tree because it wasn't safe to be in a crowd. He was not only a little guy, but he was, he, he was a, a bad little guy if he was a tax collector. But we need to remember that one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector. No one is out of bounds with Jesus. And then the other person featured is a Pharisee. And an, a Pharisee was an esteemed religious leader. A Pharisee may or may not have been particularly popular among his own people, but a Pharisee would be respected because a Pharisee was one who kept the law and who kept it in a, a righteous way. 
And, and most common people couldn't see themselves possibly being able to live up to that standard that a Pharisee set. But, but a Pharisee's problem was that sometimes in their uh, religious zeal, uh, they became very arrogant and self-righteous and prideful. And, and in so doing, then they were looked upon by their people as people who were maybe know-it-alls or Maybe people who felt they were a little better than other people because of their religious beliefs and the way that they practiced. But we need to also remember that Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. And Nicodemus was the one who not only came to Jesus at night and Jesus said, um, you must be born again. But he was the one who at the end of the Jesus story is with Joseph of Arimathea making the case that they want to properly bury the body of Jesus. That was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. No one's out of bounds with Jesus. And then we have this scene. The scene is the Pharisee by himself. Now, now we need to know by himself doesn't mean that he's so far off that he's not in earshot of the crowd. Because a Pharisee always wanted to be an earshot of the crowd. And a Pharisee not only prayed aloud, but prayed loudly. And wanted everybody to hear the prayer. Not only because it was a good prayer, but because they wanted everybody to know how good they were. So the Pharisee in this story prays a prayer kind of like this. Oh, I thank you God that I'm better than all of the thieves and the rogues and the adulterers and the garden variety riffraff who gathered here on Temple Mount. I'm confident that I believe all the right things and I try to go over the top in doing the right things. Especially, I want to thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there who's standing in the shadows not wanting to be seen in his sinful self. You know, sometimes churches can become pharisaical. Yeah. Do I really want to go there? <laughs> you know, you know it, it, it just it, it shocks me, especially when I see it from evangelical sisters and brothers, when they become so pharisaical, so self-righteous, that they forget the people that God has called them to reach out to. They forget the practice of Jesus that no one's out of bounds. That we're called to love all. Hey, we ought to make that a theme around here, loving all. Don's got the theme going right there. Indeed, this tax collector, he was standing way over to the side. He didn't want anybody to hear him. He didn't want anybody to see him. I imagine he had his back turned to the crowd and certainly to the Pharisee as he was beating on his chest and saying, God, I'm a sinner. He knew the bad things he'd done. He'd known himself to be a cheat. He, he knew that everybody hated him. What a way to live. And he wanted to make things different. He prayed for mercy. And was granted that mercy according to the parable. Because he was the one who went home justified. Jesus put it this way. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. But all who humble themselves will be exalted. The behavior of the tax collector was superior to that of the Pharisee. And the core meaning of this parable was the focus on the flaw, and that was pride. 
pride and the way we exalt ourselves brings us to being humbled. You know, as a religious leader, like Pharisees, simply not grasping what Paul taught in, in Philippians, the second chapter, the third verse. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. It's a, it's a way we focus. Pride causes us to focus on us and to see everyone else in competition of sorts. Humility causes us to focus on others. And, and Webster says it. Let's go ahead and do a Webster so that we kind of have a, a foundation. Webster calls pride vanity, conceit, narcissism, unreasonable delight in one's position or deeds. You ever known anybody like that? No, no answers out loud. I want to say something. You know, there's a healthy pride. I want to let, let us off the hook a little bit. There's a healthy pride and there's a destructive pride. And let me make the distinction. A healthy pride is feeling a joy and a happiness. Sometimes we say we're just welling up, right, with pride. And that joy and happiness is about what someone else has done that has made an impact on me. Or something that has made an impact on me. Like tonight, oh by the way, um, in the sanctuary tonight there's going to be this God and Country concert. It's going to be outstanding. It always is. It's really a highlight of the year for me. And Rusty George, no doubt, will sing that song, I'm proud to be an American. And, and we know the lyrics of that song. Who sings that song besides Rusty? Lee uh, yeah, Lee Greenwood. He doesn't sing as good as Rusty. And, and, <laughs> and it goes, you know, I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me. Did you hear it? When we say we're proud in that sense of our country, we're saying we're proud and I won't forget what someone else has done for me in paying the ultimate price so that I can have this freedom. That's a healthy pride. I'm a proud parent, just like the Anglins back there. We got good kids, don't we? They are. They're good kids. And, and we're proud of who they are and what they do. And you just can't help it. It's that joy and that happiness that's welling up. It's not about me, it's really about them. I just can't believe that they're my kids. The Anglins can't either. Did I tell y'all that I'm a grandfather? No. I, you know? Well, I have a grandbaby, and she's a little girl named Claire Bear. And I am so very proud of her. And you talk about joy and happiness welling up. Woo, I've got it. But my kids saw the potential of me slipping from a healthy pride into an unhealthy pride. They did. And so they prohibited me to post her on Facebook without their permission. Yeah. My kids. My own kids. I'm not proud of them anymore. But <laughs> they were right. You know, we parents sometimes it can become, and grandparents especially, it can become all about us. Right? And we, 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 we move from that kind of joy and happiness to, hey, I want you to see my kid. My kid's better than your kid. 
when we compare. You, you know, you can slip into that. My kids are wise. That was good. Now, they every once in a while will throw me a bone and let me put her picture on Facebook or, or better yet to, you know, show it in crosswalk. But I have to ask permission. Do you remember your first brush with unhealthy pride? Do you? Think about it. Do you remember your first brush with unhealthy pride? It was easy last week for me in preparing this sermon to think about my first brush with it. I was in the seventh grade and I played football on our seventh grade football team at our school. Our school was the Brownsboro um, High School and junior high. And our high school mascot was the Bears, the Brownsboro Bears. And so back in the olden days, if you had a junior high team and the mascot for the high school was the Bears, guess what they called the junior high team? The Cubs, that's right. And guess what they called the girls' teams? The Bearettes. Now, what's a Bearette? Really, I know what a Bearette is, but what's a Bearette? You know, it, it was meant to be, I guess, a... A girl bear, I don't know. But it's kind of stupid, really, if you think of that. But I can get cub, right? The bears, we weren't quite bears, we were cubs. But we were good as a football team. In fact, the first two football games we played as a team, we trounced our opponents. And we were so proud of the trouncing. In fact, we were getting real full of ourselves. And, and then we traveled to Lindale, Texas. Anybody know where Lindale is? Just right now. And anyway, the Lindale High School team, they were the Eagles, the Lindale Eagles. Do you know what they called their junior high team? I kid you not. It was the Lindale Eggs. No, I'm serious. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. I, and not only did they call themselves the Lindale Eggs, but on the back of their blue jerseys, they had in capital letters, E-G-G-S, eggs. When we saw the Lindale Eggs uh, walking in front of the Brownsburg Cubs bus, we couldn't contain ourselves. Somebody, oh, look, they've got their eggs. And, and one guy rolled down the window and he said, hey, guy, you've got egg on your shirt. And, and we, just, we just laughed and we, could, we ridiculed them and we were teasing them about being the eggs and here the mighty Brownsboro Cubs were about to take them to the cleaners and we got on the football field, right? Still snickering a bit. And we kicked off and a Lindale egg caught the kickoff and um, he was a little bit bigger than most 7th graders and a lot faster than most 7th graders. In fact, I don't even think he was a 7th grader. Anyway... He fielded that football, and he ran through us like nothing flat. And, and, and he crossed the goal line, and, you know, that was it. They were already up six to nothing on the very first play. And, and so we thought, well, you know, that was an accident. That'll never happen again. And it happened over and over and over again. And I hate, it's humbling to have to say to you, that at the end of the game, we were well aware that the Brownsburg Cubs had been scrambled by the Lindale Eggs. 36 to nothing. And I was reminded of that proverb, 16, the 18th verse. 
Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, that's a good lesson to learn as a seventh grader. And I've found that I've had to learn it over and over and over again. How about you? That some of us have to check pride more than others. And it's a job. Let's talk about unhealthy pride that's in need of fixing. That the Holy Spirit wants to help us with. An unhealthy pride is to believe that there are very few human beings that are equals to us. Pride is generally regarded by theologians as the chief sin, the originating sin, because it has this insidious quality. If left to grow, if left to be unchecked and unexamined, it spreads and transforms, can even become a worship of self. Now, we may not recognize it as a worship of self, but practically speaking, it's like I'm the center of the universe. That's unhealthy pride. And pride not only hinders us to be open and honest, it damages the lives of those we love. Pride further determines our relationships by making reconciliation more difficult, making it hard for us to say I made a mistake or I was wrong or I'm sorry. You know, I don't get these politicians, you know, it's just been in the news this week, but I don't get them any time that, that they don't take... They don't make that step to just say, you know, I made a mistake. I was wrong. That makes somebody bigger to me, not smaller. And I think that's our Christian heritage that teaches us that. You know, the common danger for pride is that it makes us vulnerable to temptation. And, and every week we come here as well-educated, well-intentioned, hard-working, moral people, the church, we're lovers lane, right? And when we come here with so much self-confidence in our own success, then, then we, we come here vulnerable to pride and to temptations, which lead or, or, or spring from pride. You know, you know how many times I've heard people as a pastor Confess some sin and start off by saying, oh, I could never do that. I thought I could never do that. And I thought I, I could, could never um, be unfaithful to my spouse. Or I thought I, 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 just, I was not capable of stealing from my company. It, it's, it's nearly when we say, kind of based on our own ability... That, that we'd never do that, it's when we're the most vulnerable. Because we know we're capable. We're capable of just about anything living out of our pride. You know, sometimes pride causes parents to go nuts. How, how many of y'all saw this seven-year-old, not seventh grader, seven-year-old t-ball game in Colorado? Did you see a clip of that? Where these parents are brawling, they're... I mean, they're throwing the fist. They're, they're having an all-out fight. And then you find out that the reason they're fighting basically came from a call from a 13-year-old umpire 
who warned both teams that they needed to clean up their language. And, and I heard this little 13-year-old umpire say at the end of the game, he said, you know, you'd think that a 13-year-old wouldn't have to tell parents how to act regarding their 7-year-olds. But people get so tied up in, in, in a lot of times in, in living through their, their kids that they just do all kinds of nutty things that basically stems from pride. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to replace that pride in our lives with a genuine humility. Now the best definition I know for humility is down to earth. Do you know people who you've said they're down to earth? A lot of times it's people who are highly regarded and we say, yeah, but they're so down to earth. They, they live with, with so much humility. It's just so admirable to us. Humility is such an admirable trait. Down to earth, but you know, you think of the root word of humility, humus. It, it's earth. It's down to earth. Down to earth people know that on any given day, they are not any better than anyone else. Down to earth people know that they have something in common with everybody else in the world, and that is we can fall off whatever wagon it is. Humility is being down to earth and understanding ourselves to be part of the human race, not in competition with being an M deity. Jesus said, Judge not, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. C.S. Lewis, great theologian of another century, but his words oftentimes just get right to the core. C.S. Lewis said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. You got it? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. No, that, that's not any good. We need to see ourselves as children of God. We need to have high self-esteem. But we also need to think of ourselves less. And when we do so, we're prone to think of others more. And we're prone to think of the God who inspires that kind of other's orientation. And we're prone to live into life, not a life that compares ourselves to others, but a life that compares ourselves to God. A loving parent who wants the very best for us, who will be with us in our saddest times and our most joyous times, who wants to accompany us in anything that we're doing, who wants us to have a humble heart, knowing who we are, what we're capable of, and yet also knowing that we're, we're also capable of that humility that Christ can bring. Humility knows God, not just knows about God. You hear me? Humility leads to that intimate relationship with God that puts ourselves in proper perspective. Just like that Pharisee beating on his chest and his only prayer was, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Reminds me of the words of Micah, the prophet. What does the Lord require of us? 
but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. You know, this past week, one of the highlights of my week was listening to a sermon. Now, preachers don't listen to sermons all the time. In fact, it's said about preachers that they want everybody to come hear them, but they won't go across the street to hear some other preacher. But this was different. I listened to a sermon preached by a former youth, one of Jackie's kids, no doubt, who had just graduated from Furman University, and her name's Hannah Arada. Hannah's working this summer as a minister on a church staff doing community ministry in Greenville, South Carolina. And she's worked for this non-denominational church for the past year or more. And, and last Sunday she preached her first sermon. Now, now, I don't want you to miss this. Here's a young 22-year-old woman preaching in a non-denom on a Sunday morning for all the world to see and hear. And my goodness, it was a powerful sermon. Now those of us who know Hannah know how humble her spirit is and know how sincere her dedication to the Lord is. And you know, as I was listening to the sermon, I was thinking of Hannah and, and how most of our adult counselors and our student ministers and even our youth would say, you know, Hannah and Ephraim, Hannah and Ephraim modeled a friendship that created a youth program that was open to all people of different cultures and races, people different colors, different accents, all coming together in a youth group in North Dallas. We have that picture of them. There they are. Mary and Joseph one year. What they did was they weren't comfortable in a youth group just being integrated. They wanted a youth group where kids had friends with other kids who were culturally different than them. Wise beyond their years to know how important a lesson that is. To be able to know and love another who's different. And as I listened to her sermon, I not only thought about the lessons she has taught us through the years, I not only thought about her humility, but I thought about how down to earth Hannah Rat has always been. And I also thought about how mature she's been beyond her years and how non-anxious she was in her delivery of that sermon. That was just her. She never gets anxious, doesn't seem like, about much of anything. She certainly wasn't anxious talking about her Lord to a bunch of Christians. And the main point she was making was that you know, it's not enough to know about God. You have to know God. She was testifying about her intimate relationship with God that had made her who she was. And she came in contact with that God, not only through Ephraim and other youth, but through this church 
Sunday school teachers, youth workers, leaders, her parents. It, it was easy for her to give credit to all that God had used, everyone whom God had used, to bring her to the place where she could be standing, preaching as a 22-year-old woman in a non-denominational church in Greenville, South Carolina. And you know, I thought about what a blessing it is to have a church that's been trying to instill within our youth and adults alike that we need to follow Jesus. Jesus knew nobody to be out of bounds. Jesus wanted everybody at the table. Jesus wanted our focus not to be on how we compare ourselves to others. But, but how we please God in the way we love His children. It's about that simple. And anything less, frankly, falls into pharisaical. We are a people. All of us fixer-uppers. And the Holy Spirit wants to replace your pride and mine with godly, holy humility.